You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. We're going to study a beautiful story, the Cinderella story of the Old Testament. And I let the cat out of the bag last week. I wasn't, it just kind of slipped that we're going to be studying the book of Ruth. And some of you have already pre-read for this morning. The book of Ruth, if you don't know where it is, it's the eighth book in the Old Testament. It's right tucked between Judges and 1 Samuel. And it's a little book, only four chapters long, but there is an incredible message for us in this season, and you're not going to want to miss it. Now, let me just ask you, how many of you have ever read the book of Ruth? All right. Okay, so a bunch of you. Well, we've got an assignment for you. It doesn't matter if you've read it before or you've never read it. We want you over the next several weeks, once a week, to sit down and read the entire book. You say, whoa, it takes 20 to 25 minutes. Or you can get it on your Bible app and listen to it, all right? However you want to do it. But we believe that as we study this, as we read and reread, that the Holy Spirit is going to move on our lives. And we are going to look back at the fall of 2017, and there are going to be some things that are changed for eternity because of this series. There are going to be some decisions made. There are going to be some barriers broken because we got in God's Word, and we let God's Word speak to us. And so how many are with me? All right, come on. All right, you're going to read it? You're going to reread it? And that's the goal, because this, uh, this story is so amazing. So the title of the series, kind of the tagline, is Hope in the Hurting. Hope in the Hurting. And as we study this, it's a story that shows how God moves in miraculous ways, in really mysterious ways as well. And it gives us insight on how God views us. Have you ever wondered, man, how does God look at my life? Or what does God think about my situation? We're going to study that. It also highlights how God has his gracious ability to work behind the scenes. In fact, that's the focus for this morning. It's a story that shows how people who think their story is lost or broken or unfixable, that God steps in and does the impossible. And for those of us that think, man, could I ever get back what I've lost because of my mistakes? And the answer is yes. And this story kind of helps us and shows us a story where that happens. It's a story for people, church, who wonder where God is. If you ever wonder, you say, man, I've lost the dream. I have no vision or there's no prophetic work in my life. All right, this story is for you. It's for people who wonder where God is after a tragedy or after a hardship, one right after the next, after the next. It's a story for people who wonder if life, if a life of integrity is worth it in tough times. It's a story for ordinary people, just like you and just like me. I know I, I, know I always talk about you guys being extraordinary, and, and that's true. You're, you're awesome. I mean, that video, you guys looked good in that video. I mean, uh, man, I was like, I'm so glad to be a part of that church, right? <laughs> but the truth is, we're just all ordinary people. But what's great is God cares about us. 
It's a refreshing story, an encouraging book. And again, I believe this fall as we study this, it's going to be awesome and God's going to help us. So let's just dive in and let's look at it. In Ruth chapter 1, if you're not there, if you've got the same Bible as me, it's on page 251, I'm just saying. And uh, if not, good luck finding it. It's kind of a short little book. It's easy to pass over. But in Ruth chapter 1, it gives us a little background just in the first little phrase and I think it's important to discuss, and it says this. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Let me pause there. A lot of people, they read that, and they go right to that famine, that time where the food or where the, the rains dried up, and there was no a lack of food. There was a lack of food. And the, the story kind of opens with this idea of famine. But I want you to see, as you study this, that was really the least of their problems as the Israelites, as the people of God. Because in that first phrase that gets overlooked, it describes that they were living in the day when judges ruled. This was before the kings. And you say, well, what was that like? Well, there was a lot of ups and a lot of downs. And it was, what's crazy is it was a dark time a rebellious time. There were invasions of foreigners. And if you flip back just one page to the very end of Judges, Judges chapter 21, verse 25, look what it says. It says, in the days of Israel, in those days, they had no king. Again, the judges were ruling. And then it describes the state. It says, everyone did as they saw fit. In other words, People were not looking to God. People were serving themselves. They did whatever felt good to them. And the book of Ruth is right there in the midst of that. Back to Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled. And what's great is that this story gives us a glimpse into the hidden work of God during the worst of times. And some of us are in some hard times. We're going to talk about that. But we're going to see that God, his concern, he was concerned for an individual, Ruth, that the book was written about. But he also has concern for all his people. And we will see how God wants to work in our lives and how he wants to reverse the hurt. The, the, he wants to reverse the harmful situations where things have been lost. He wants to restore. He wants to bring healing and hope. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, just fast forward. You're going to read it this week anyway. In uh, Ruth chapter 4, verse 17 through 22, at the end of the book, Ruth has a son, and not just any son. She has a son. She names him Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David in the royal line. And then if you fast forward to Jesus, he was in the line of Jesus right from Ruth. And it's an incredible story of restoration. God was at work. And so I want you, as you read and reread, to pay attention to the plotting of God, to alert of what God is doing. And when you think that you're at the farthest place from, from God, or, if, or maybe you even think that, that God has turned against you, like we're going to see Naomi this morning, I want you to know that God is actually laying a foundation for greatness in your life. That's the truth of this story, and we're going to take a good look at that. And so without further ado, Ruth chapter 1, let's look at it again. Verse 1 says, In the days where the judges ruled, 
So we have some context there now. There was a famine in the land. So a man named, or from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Everybody say Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was named Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab to live there. Let me pause for a second. If you, it, you may not have noticed, but two different times it describes Elimelech, his family, going from Bethlehem to Moab. Now, we might read that and think, well, what's the big deal? But if you understand the background, if you understand what's happening in Moab, you would be like, what? This family from Bethlehem, God's people, going to Moab? Really? Because Moab was a pagan land. where They worshipped foreign gods. It was a vile place. It was born out of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter, if you remember back in Genesis. And uh, and in Leviticus too, I think. Uh, There was nothing, they had nothing to do with Yahweh, the the true almighty God, the God of Israel. And actually, some commentators describe that they would actually burn their children in a fire just to sacrifice them to their gods. It was a corrupt place. This place was messed up. And Elimelech leads his family, I believe, away from God's plan. And what I want you to see is that Elimelech, he moves his family away from God's blessing. 40 to 50 miles outside what I would consider of God's blessing. And some of you are thinking, well, you know, he had to do what he had to do. Well, listen, it it may seem logical in man's thinking, but you never want to walk away from what God has done. What Elimelech did, he tried to take things into his own hands. He tried to figure it out on his own instead of trust God where he was. And what's interesting is how many of us, how often do people take matters into their own hands? Right? I know I have, and I know many of you have. And I've got a couple examples here just to kind of describe that the compromise that comes, and it's so easy to get there. Maybe you're alone a single adult in your 20s or 30s or 40s, and you're saying, man, I better get married. And so you settle with an unbeliever. How many of you know a story like that? I know I do, and I'm not thinking about anybody in particular. Or at school, students that are here, you just to fit in. There's compromise, there's a peer pressure that comes, and all of a sudden you're with a group of people and they're talking and you're talking the same way. You're going to places that they go to and it's a slippery slope. There's compromise. You take things into your own hands. Say, I'm going to do this. For those of us that are in business or that that are in business, to close the deal, there's just a little compromise. You cheat just a little. You fudge on the numbers just a little bit. And what happens You are stepping away from God's blessings, from what God's best is in your life. And Elimelech, I believe he did that, and we do the same thing. Elimelech's decision influenced so many around him, and the same is true for us. When we make decisions, when we walk away from God's plan, how many know that it affects our kids and sometimes our grandkids or those that are closest to us? It's in a positive way and in a negative way. 
And that's where we kind of continue in the, in the, uh, the story. Let's look at it. Verse 3. It says, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Saying, What? And she, left, she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. That's pagan women. One named Orpah, the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Mahlon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her sons and without her husband. You're saying, what is going on here? Right? Ironically, they tried to escape uh, death by the famine, right? But then they found to be dead in Moab. It's kind of like Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, that says, there seems to be a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And I think that's the case here. In Ruth, uh, verses 3 and 5 there, uh, there's now just Naomi and Ruth and Orpha. They were left with no Social Security. They were left with no pension. And the picture that is being painted here, you have to understand, was that it was one blow after the next. One bad thing after the next. One tragic. It was famine, then death, then barrenness. All these things. And you're saying, now what? What happens to this family? And we pick it up in verse 6. It says, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So we get the word that there's food now in Bethlehem. And she's saying, hey, let's go. And they start this journey down the road, the two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, with Naomi. And then in verse 8, it says, Then Naomi kind of stops things and said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you to find rest in the home of another husband. And you're saying, what? So she stops them, says, go back to Moab. You're going to be better off there. You don't want to travel with me. It's not worth the journey for you. And then they, she kissed them goodbye. And then the girls wept aloud. And they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. It's interesting. Verse 11, but Naomi said, return home, my daughters. And she kind of starts to whine here, kind of complain. She may be a little exaggerating. Um, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going uh, to have any more sons? And the answer is no. Uh, who, come, uh, who could uh, become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to a son, nine months later, right? Verse 13, would you wait until they grew up? Again, no. Would you remain until uh, unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than it is for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And that little phrase, we'll come back to that, but she's just describing, she's, she's hurt, she's bitter, she's in a place that she is uh, feeling down, defeated, lost. In verse 14, at this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth hung on. So we see one of the daughters, she goes back to Moab, that's Orpah, but Ruth says, no, I am sticking with you, mother-in-law, I'm sticking with you, Naomi, and, uh, we, and then we see, uh, 
she clung to her. Verse 15, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. She was trying to do everything she could to get Ruth to go back to Moab, but she doesn't. And then in the next couple verses, we see a picture into Ruth, and we're going to study about Ruth more next week. But look at this, what it says, Ruth 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you and turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and my God, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Now, we read that, and some of you have read that, but the weight of that, as you study it, is amazing. Ruth is saying, look, I will be faithful to you. She's leaving her own family, the land that she was born in. She's saying, my life is now a life of widowhood and of childlessness, which was a huge issue. She was going to an unknown land with new people, new customs, with a new language. And the craziest thing in verse 16 says, she says to Naomi, your God will now be my God. That's crazy. This is one special girl, and we're going to study her for the next few weeks. But I want to go back to verse 13, and because really this morning the focus is on Naomi. In verse 13, it kind of sets the stage or sets the backdrop for this story. The Lord's hand has turned against me, is what Naomi says. And this negative response to this circumstances continues in verse 18. Let's look at it. It says, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they, they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. And then listen to how she just rants and goes on. I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune to or upon me. And what we see here, you got to know that the name Naomi meant pleasant. And so they're saying, hey, pleasant is back. And she says, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And then she refers to the Almighty, which is the El Shaddai. That's the providing God. And she says, the El Shaddai, the provider, the Lord, has brought me back empty. In other words, the Lord has not provided. When the Lord has afflicted me or testified against me. These are big accusations. The Lord has brought misfortune on me. And in those little phrases, and then that phrase up in verse 13, that the Lord's hand has turned against me, what we see is a little picture of Naomi's thought process, her theology, her bent, her perspective. And that's where I want to focus for the next few moments. Naomi is blaming God for her problems. Now, is God to blame in this circumstance? This is something we all have to wrestle with. 
Think about your circumstances. Is God to blame when things go bad? See, what's happening here, it's kind of like asking, why do bad things happen to good people? How many have ever asked that, right? It's the same sort of thinking. And I think there are two things at play here that the Holy Spirit wants us to consider. The first is this cause and effect issue, that we live in a sin-filled world, and we are not immune to, the, to others' choices. The great example, and it's a horrible example, but a drunk driver hits an innocent family. Was there anything that that family did that deserved that tragedy? No. But because of the decisions of a drunk driver, uh, there was consequences. And in Ruth's situation, we can look at Elimelech and his decision to take his family to Moab to walk away from the blessing of God, and it resulted in misfortune. And we see that kind of played out in the first chapter of Ruth. But you say, well, why was there misfortune? These were God's people. Well, they walked away from the blessing, I believe, from Bethlehem and went to Moab. And when that happens, uh, we can see some, some shed some light on this. Uh, I believe that there was some discipline that came to their family. Let's look at it in Hebrews chapter 12. There, there's an idea here that emerges in Hebrews. Uh, verse 5, it says this. It says, you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as father addresses his son. Now, this is talking to the relationship between Jesus, our heavenly father, uh, and us as sons and daughters. This would reply, or this would apply to uh, Naomi's situation as well. It says, my son or daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. These, these are hard words. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are disciplined, by, or what, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Verse 9. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who discipline us, and we respect them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us uh, for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the moment, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I believe the misfortune in Elimelech's family's life comes back to the disciplining hand of God. Now, Naomi, she's bitter about this. She's mad about this. We see her honesty, which I appreciate. There's this raw expression. Uh, but what I want us to see, and this is important, God was not against Naomi. It never was against Naomi. That would be a wrong perspective, in my view, according to Scripture. I do not believe that God was to blame for the misfortune. God wasn't mad at Naomi. And actually, I believe what we're going to see this morning is that God was at work behind the scenes all the time. 
and is the same for us this morning. God is at work behind the scenes on our behalf. Now the story continues. Naomi's perspective of God's hand is wrong initially, but then we see a change in her perspective. It act, the change actually starts in verse 6. I don't know if you caught it. It says, Now uh, Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. And so she and her daughters-in-laws uh, pre- uh, prepared to return home. When she prepared to return home to Bethlehem, Naomi's decision to turn back, I believe, to the blessing started things to change in her life. The idea that I'm going back to the place of God's provision. Or I was better off in Bethlehem, where, where God's people are. I, it's better to honor God. It's back with God's people, to be around godly people again. Or back to the place of inheritance, in this case, in, for Naomi. And then we see in verse 22, this idea that they go back to Bethlehem. Naomi puts herself in a place to see signs of God's merciful plan. We see it unfold, and we, it, even early on in this story of Ruth, we see hope. And we see that touch of hope in verse 22. Let's look at it to finish off the chapter. It says, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. The barley harvest was beginning. Provision Hope in the hurting. That's what I want us to see. And what's great is I believe that anytime we turn back to the blessing, we turn back to God, the goodness follows, that God blesses that in our lives. Anytime we turn to Him. You say, well, that sounds awfully simple. All we got to do is turn back to God. Is it really that simple? And I would say, Yes, absolutely it is. The point is, is that God sees where you are. And you've got to hear this, that if you say, God, I need you, I believe that God, he is in the reversing of situation business. And in this case, there was a barley harvest. It didn't fix everything, but it was a sign of hope. It was that things were moving in the right direction again. And in the same way, God will provide in your life. He will undo what has happened in your situation. And it ends in harvest. It ends in blessing and in favor. And that's what I believe the message of especially chapter 1 is. And, that, and I want to just declare that today is a day of harvest for you and for me. And in order for that to happen, we need to come back to Bethlehem, come home. If Naomi would have stayed in Moab, there would have been no future there for her. There would have been no change in her situation. But I want you to see there was one decision here that made the difference. She determined to get back to a place where God could bless her again. She acknowledged God's nature. You say, well, what's God's nature? Well, let's look at it real quick. Romans 8, 28. I love this. That says, for we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When you are a son or a daughter of the Most High King, 
If Jesus is in your heart, his plans for you are good. But so many times we short circuit that. But let me say it one more time. One decision of coming back can make all the difference. And for Naomi, this one decision leads her back to a place of freedom. And the same is true for you and for me. My encouragement is to turn to God. Turn to God. Now there's one more thing, and then we're going to pray and talk about commitment and talk about application. But God is at work in the book of Ruth. And you'll see that if you haven't read it or when you reread it this week. And what's great is that God is work at the He's at work in the beginning all the way to the end. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, we see that God is providing food back in Bethlehem. Pretty cool. Also, in Ruth chapter 4, verse 13, we see that God is providing a son for Ruth. And, and so the book ends is that God is at work. And then all along the way, we see that God is at work as well. And when we see it, and what I want to kind of alert you to is that God is revealing himself. He's working in the lives of just ordinary people. We're not talking about kings. We're not talking about princesses and, and uh, things like that, but ordinary people. And he's doing ordinary things. He's providing food. He's providing a marriage. He's providing children. And what's great is that it's not the big miracles of the Old Testament in the story of Ruth. It's not the burning bush. It's not the parting of the Red Sea or the manna from heaven every morning. But what we see instead, and I want you to get this, it's God working quietly and even subtly on our behalf. He's working behind the scenes. And I don't know about you, but this is the way God works more often in my life. It's the behind the scenes. And as you look back and you say, man, look what God has done. Look what God has orchestrated. See, God knows the details of our lives and he helps us. Now, does that mean that things are perfect? Absolutely not. There's still processes. There's still consequences to our actions. In the very next uh, few verses in Ruth, in Ruth chapter 2, you'll read it. Ruth is still having to go out and glean in the fields. That'd be like going to a food bank or to a, to a food truck. She had to work, and she's, you know, it wasn't like all, everything was great. But when Naomi made the choice to turn towards God, to go back to Bethlehem, there was hope in their circumstance at that point. And I believe there's hope for us. Hope for those that are hurting. Hope for those of you that have been believing for that healing. Hope for that things will be different than they have been. Hope is on its way. Hope is on the way for you. Hope that we don't have to repeat the past. Amen? That we can kick that addiction or we could get out of debt or that a relationship could be restored. Church, I want to just declare that favor is on its way. There's hope when we turn back to God or we turn towards God. And God, He moves in some mysterious ways. And I can't always understand it, but I'll tell you my story is that when I look back, I can see the hand of God and He's at work. And he's on, he's, he does it for every single one of us. He has good plans.
for every single one of us. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. As we come to a time of decision, the most important decision that you'll ever make is to find Christ, to find Jesus. It's a salvation call. We're going to talk about our changing our perspectives here in a moment if we're blaming God or if we're feeling far from Him. But let's just talk to those that may be here. And the reality is you do not have a relationship with Jesus. See, the Bible is pretty clear that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That means we're all sinners. And the reality, according to Scripture, is that one sin, just one, will keep us from an everlasting relationship with Jesus. One decision, one thing, if it's not covered by the blood of Jesus. But Jesus provided that, and he's provided it for you. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, if you've not accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, there's no reason you should walk out of these doors without making the best decision of your life. So I just want to give you that opportunity. If you're here and you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior and you want to know Jesus, you need that salvation experience, would you just lift up your hand right where you are as heads are bowed and eyes are closed? Who here, second service, needs that kind of touch, needs that kind of experience, saying, man, I, I need a Savior to take away my sins. Just slip up your hand. I'm going to give you just a moment. Anyone at all, second service here needs Jesus as their personal Savior. Okay. All right, let me get your eyes back on me for a moment. So nobody raised their hands. And I guess that's okay for this morning. But can I just remind you, our responsibility is to be reaching one more. And we want a week, every week, for there to be someone, Lord willing, to respond. And uh, maybe tonight at youth, uh, someone will respond. I believe that with you, Bruce. But let's talk about this story for a second and how it affects us and the application for us. Have you ever been in that position where you've blamed God for your circumstances? Or you've wondered why there's one blow after the next after the next? Or maybe you've been in a situation where you felt like God is far away and distant. And you're saying, man, how did I get here? Or maybe you think, like Naomi, that God has turned against you for some reason. Well, can I speak some truth that God has not turned his face away from you? He loves you, and he knows the intricate details of your life. And if you feel like you're lost or broken or unfixable, it is, that is a lie from the pit of hell. God is in the restoring business, and the thing that needs to happen is that one decision. Just like Naomi, she decided to go back to Bethlehem. She went home. She went back to God's blessing. That's all it takes, is one decision to turn back to God's plan for your life. And if you're here this morning, you're feeling distant, or you're feeling like, man, things are out of control, and I want to just speak life, and I want to speak wholeness, and I want to speak Uh, the future, your future, into existence, that God, he's working on your behalf, but you've got to turn back to him. You've got to face him 
and then kind of em- embrace his plan once again. And I'm just curious, how many here are in that place saying, man, I need that kind of hope for my circumstance. I need to have the result of me turning back. I need that kind of hope in my circumstance. Just raise your hand where you are. Yeah. Just like first service, lots of hands. Who else? Just say, man, I need that. Well, it takes us and takes our attention off of ourselves and off our circumstances and putting our attention back on Jesus. And that's what I want to lead you to do. So I'm going to ask that you stand this morning. And if you raised your hand, certainly I want you to respond. But even if you didn't, this is good practice. For when a day of adversity comes, what is our response? Our response must be to bring our attention back to Jesus, back to Him. And so what I would like you to do is I would like you just to raise your hands to the Lord as a sign of sacrifice. And I want you just to kind of look into the sky, look into the ceiling, look through it, and look to Jesus and just begin to tell Him that you're on His side, that you believe in Him, that you're believing that He's working on your behalf. Just in your own words, just, just practice that. Say, God, I know that you're for me, not against me. I know that you're working behind the scenes. I'm putting my faith in you. Come on, just tell Him, I'm putting my trust in you. I'm walking in your ways. I'm not going the way of the world any longer. But God, I'm, I'm, my, my focus is fixed on you. And God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would help me. Come on, just in your own way. Lord, we thank you from the front to the back. God, we fix our attention on you, Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 And Father, now I pray that what we've just experienced will be the response no matter what is thrown our way. Lord, keep us close to you. Help us, Lord, in every area. And we'll give you the praise. We'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just say one other thing. This is an attitude of praise. Attitude of worship here. First service we ended with a couple people coming forward wanting to share, which was pretty awesome. One was a story of, that kind of resembled the story of Naomi. Uh, someone described the, their one was kind of an off-nephew, like kind of connected to the family but not really, who was an alcoholic and uh, stone drunk and at the end of his rope, and to the point where he lost everything, lost his job, lost family. And, uh, and this, this young man, uh, he uh, uh, was intercepted by a couple from our church, Barb and Michael Linsky. And they shared first service how they went down to Kalamazoo and kind of did an intervention. Some of you know what that's like. And said, all right, this is it. And, uh, and took him to Teen Challenge, which was awesome. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, and he's now in the hospital sobering up, but is committed to go to Teen Challenge. It was awesome. And so God is doing a work. And what's really neat is how God orchestrated so many things for that to happen. 
Another story emerged. Uh, a couple, uh, two weeks ago, when they fill out their one that's in the uh, display back here, she put down her sister, and her sister lives on the east side of the state. And uh, just so happened that week, she was in Detroit area, saw her sister, her sister's broken and just at the end of her rope. And God worked it out that Pam and, uh, uh, help me out, Pam and, Karen. nope, did you say Darren? Karen, Karen. Oh yeah, yeah, Pam, her sister's name was Karen, yes, <laughs> but Pam and Ray was able to lead Karen, their sister, to the Lord that next Wednesday. And how God was working behind the scenes. And what I want you to know, it's incredible, that that story is going to be repeated again and again and again. After service, someone came up to me uh, after service and said, hey, this week I'm going to see my one. And I'm praying that God is going to use me. And that's the perspective we've got to have, that we take the goodness that's happening in our lives, not perfection, but we take the goodness and we run with it, and we let God use that in our lives. And so, with that, I want to commission you, and I want to ask the Lord to help us to go before us, right, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' name, Lord, that's what we need. And so now I pray just a closing benediction on, our, on, your, on this service. Lord, go before us, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. We love you so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.